Super Bowl week has arrived, but not much to get into about the big game at the moment. I will get into how the game this Sunday could punctuate a rather lackluster postseason overall. Kyrie Irving gets his wish as his trade request on Friday is granted yesterday, being dealt to the Mavericks. A complete breakdown of Irving's tenure in Brooklyn, future in Dallas, and what does Kevin Durant think about all this? Plus, the NBA has become the WWE. An NHL second half as the All-Star weekend is behind us. The Islanders follow up their big trade of Bo Horvat into a long marriage. And Purdue loses again and falls out of the top spot in the nation. The sports world is a little quiet, but I'll pack a lot into the next hour. It's all coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. February is in full swing, and so is yours truly, as I'm a little cranky today. So fasten your seatbelts as I share my thoughts, feelings, and opinions on what's going on in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And when I say I'm cranky, it's not because of what's happening in my world. This happens to do with sports. So before you kind of wonder what's going on with Jay Reels, is something going on behind the scenes that we're not privy or do not know about, and I get it that it may not be everybody's business, but I'm transparent, I'm open, And just rest assured that nothing else outside of my sports world is erupting into a frenzy or getting out of control. That is not the case. In fact, all is well coming in with those good spirits and energy, etc. But I want to deliver that on a platter to you guys and gals because over the course of the next hour, maybe a little bit less than that, since the sports world has been quiet and very low-key... Minus the Kyrie Irving trade request and him being jettisoned to Dallas, which obviously I'll talk about later. But now that Super Bowl week is here, and with the players that have already arrived in Glendale as of yesterday, the three-ring circus that will take place tomorrow being media day, I was thinking about the game this Sunday over the course of the last couple of days. And we've talked about how the NFL season this past year has been a little bit lackluster. 
Yes, we've had certain games that we could hang our hat on, whether it was the game in Buffalo with the Vikings and Bills. And later on in the season, you had that crazy week in December where you had a lot of good games. And I understand you can't base seasons on various weeks or games, but we know that the NFL this past year, with everything that had gone on behind the scenes, underneath with certain rule changes, with the roughing the quarterback, which they'll look at at the end of the year, also, what's been revealed recently in reference to concussions, how they've gone up 18% compared to the 2021 season. And again, I'll touch on that later. But about the game itself and about this year and even the postseason, which, let's face it, has had its moments. The comeback in Jacksonville between the Chargers and Jaguars. Miami and Buffalo, although it was a sloppy game and a long game, But it almost went down to the wire and Miami actually had a shot to tie and maybe even take the lead to win. The giant Viking game had some drama. You also had the big game last week, Cincinnati and Kansas City, which a lot of people were excited about. And even though people thought that they shouldn't have thrown the flag there on Joseph Asai as he pushed Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, but that was a call they had to make. But you get the point that this NFL season, as well as the postseason is pretty much coming to a merciful ending, but that could change based on what could happen this Sunday in Glendale. And everybody knows I love the NFL. I've been following the sport closely since 1976 when I was seven years old, so you could do the math. But I am one that am not shedding a tear that we haven't connected with football and I'm not even going to discuss the Pro Bowl because if you watch that, God bless you, I'd rather watch paint dry. Flag football, And I understand the players, they loved it. They were raving about it and for good reason and good measure. Why? They didn't have to put on pads. They didn't have to put on a helmet. They didn't have to worry about getting hit or even getting injured. Unless you're Miles Garrett who dislocated his toe. So I'm sure the owners, granted that the offseason already has begun for 30 of the teams that are out there. But still, the players were raving about how it was a lot of fun. And I didn't get a lot of quotes because I didn't pay not one iota to this game because I couldn't watch the Pro Bowl when there was contact. So for those out there, Jay Reels, come on. It's still football. No, it's not, number one. Oh, it's entertaining. Oh, they had 55,000 out there. But I'm sure if you took a poll out of the 55,000, if you're under 30, maybe they enjoyed it. If you're above 30 or over that, how could you enjoy that? And again, I didn't even watch it. Because that's not football. So let me wash my hands over that. But as I mentioned, following the sport the way I have been for 47 years. And to have it come to a point where yesterday was the first Sunday that there wasn't a game that was on the line or had any meaning. I didn't miss it. And as everybody knows, when we get past the Super Bowl next week and into the Sports Dead Zone Part 1... And then you'll have baseball come back into our consciousness. We'll have March Madness, the craziness of April, NBA, Stanley Cup playoffs, everything that you can imagine, all the golf, the Masters. Then you have the NFL draft. But the spring into the summer and when training camps open up in July as we get ready for another NFL season, I could surely wait for it. I'm in the small minority when it comes to that. But thank goodness, after this coming Sunday, we won't have to worry about football until for me, September. And thank God for that. Because I know it seems the world revolves around the NFL. And as I mentioned, the way this year has gone, as far as 
the regular season and now into the postseason as it's been very so-so, let's only hope that we would have a good, if not great game, and I'm not expecting a classic to say the least, but hopefully we will have something that we could talk about a week from today when it comes to a Super Bowl. And now that we have finally come into the week where tomorrow you're going to have all the stupid questions and I don't get wrapped up into media day at all and I've been doing that for years as far as stupid quotes or these questions that are asked. I can't get into this. I'm sorry, people. I'm not trying to throw cold water on the NFL or their fans or people who are just anticipating this game. But really, what is there to discuss? You think they're going to talk about game plans? You think they're going to talk about strategy during these press conferences that are going to take place? It's going to be about what's your good luck charm or what did you eat for breakfast? And a guy in a bee costume is going to talk about how the barbecue is in Kansas City if you're Travis Kelsey. Uh, Really? Is this what it's come down to? So with all that aside, I'm not going to get into the game. I'm not going to break down what the keys are going to be. That's going to be on the podcast later this week, which will come on Friday. So here's your programming note for the podcast later on the week, which everybody knows I release on Thursday. But it's going to be on Friday. So if you're looking on your favorite little podcast platform as to where the j Rose podcast is on Thursday, you won't see it. It'll be Friday. So keep that in the back of your mental Rolodex as we get ready for a podcast later in the week to talk about anything and everything revolving Super Bowl 57. But a couple of things before I move on when it comes to the NFL. Number one, talking about the concussions from earlier, the report that came out over the weekend that concussions had gone up 18%, I believe 149 concussions compared to last year, which was I guess somewhere in the 120s. And I get it that the NFL has to put this out. I'm sure it was the last thing they wanted to do because we all know the history of concussions over the years with the way things have gone. And then obviously what we saw earlier this year with Tua Tagovailoa, and that was also another thing that was, I'm not going to say a black eye on the NFL, but certainly didn't shed any positive light when it comes to players falling on the field other than DeMar Hamlin, which we all know was a separate case. But you also have to add that into the mix when it comes to this past year and some of the images or thoughts that we'd rather not see in the league. But with the concussions and how it increased and they could poo-poo it all they want, whether it was 3%, 1%, or 0.00001%. This is something that the NFL has to continue to keep in mind. We know about the blue tent. We know about the statistics now. And I understand that the fan, they're still going to watch these games. They're still going to gamble. They're still going to go on FanDuel and all these other gambling sites, which I could care less in fantasy football and their squads, whatever. They don't care. Because as we've talked about ad infinitum, the NFL reigns supreme when it comes to not only appointment television, but being the top sport in the world. And I get it that somebody in Europe even if it is in Germany or in London where they host these games now annually for the league and why, I don't know. But even in those parts of the world where, yes, they may follow and keep tabs to what's going on, but nothing like this country when it comes to the National Football League, as we well know, and I'm not breaking any news there. But with the concussions, I'm glad that the NFL is making a point on that where as early as probably two years ago, they would have swept it under the rug. But considering the events of what have happened this year 
as I mentioned with the aforementioned Tua Tagovailoa, this is something that they have to bring to light and this is something that is going to be on everybody's radar once we get to the end of the season as to where we are with concussions year in and year out. Besides that, you don't really have much because as we all know, it's going to be about the Super Bowl this Sunday. We could talk about how the Cowboys hired Brian Schottenheimer as their offensive coordinator. We could even discuss about Joe Mixon having this incident where he brandished a gun in front of a woman sometime a couple of weeks back before the championship game. In fact, I believe it was before the game against Buffalo. So do you want to go down that road? I don't. We talked about flag football in the Pro Bowl. I can't. No need to go down that road again. So as we get closer, six days away, like I mentioned, a week from today, we'll assess what had happened in Super Bowl 57. I'll give you all the tidbits, all of my thoughts with a prediction on the game as we now start to ramp up what will be a long and tedious week as you prepare for Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. The NBA was front and center this week, and a lot of it being this weekend as I lace up my high tops and transition. And I'll start off here. For those who live in the tri-state New York area, I'm sure you heard a gigantic exhale yesterday, whether it was in Brooklyn, somewhere in the Bronx, maybe even as far out as Long Island, New Jersey, or even Connecticut, that Kyrie Irving was traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Dorian Finney-Smith, one-time net Spencer Dinwiddie. You're going to have some draft picks involved, whether it's a number one pick in 2029, yes, in another six years, as well as two second-round picks in 2027 and 2029. That's one each, I might add. And then the Mavericks also get Markeith Morris in the process And this is 48 hours prior to this trade to where he shocked the NBA airwaves by saying that he wanted out of Brooklyn because they were unable to come to terms on a contract extension where Kyrie could have gotten four years and $198 million extension. And I'll start off by saying this, if you're Joseph Tsai and Sean Marks, the owner and GM of the Nets, you did the right thing. We've seen Kyrie over the last few years, what has transpired, and I'm not going to assess what has happened. We know the deal that has taken place with him since he's been a member of the Nets. And I will even take away the vaccination or him not getting vaccinated as a positive because that was a decision that he decided to make and he did not get paid in the process and he stuck to his guns and his convictions and kudos to him for for doing that. Because that was something that he had chose and knew that he was going to face some consequences, whether it was with the organization, his teammates, etc. And he stood pat. So kudos to him. But everything else after that, and one more time, we know the deal. I don't need to break down every little peccadillo that had happened here over the last three and a half, almost four years. But this was something that the Nets had to do. As it is, they bring back Dinwiddie, who's a guy that I'm sure is happy to come back to Brooklyn. Number one, Dorian Finney-Smith, I guess the guy you can put in your rotation and maybe will give you a contribution from time to time. And with the headache of Kyrie and that circus going out of town, I'm sure that the Net fan, they're going to be wondering what could have been. And when we look at the last four years of this tenure, you're going to look back to that 2020-2021 season where they lost to the Bucks in seven 
Kyrie going down with the ankle injury where he stepped on Giannis and I believe it was in game four and he was no longer to be seen from then. Of course, the game seven where Kevin Durant made that three or so we thought at the time, but his big toe was on the line, which would have put the Nets into the conference finals and chances are probably would have made it to the finals and won. Obviously, we'll never know about that, but that was the closest that they ever got throughout this KD Kyrie era. And, of course, we could talk about it being the worst ever as far as two big superstars being together with all the expectations and everything that was banking on those two guys signing with Brooklyn in the summer of 2018. And all they had to show for it is one first-round playoff win, and that was against the Boston Celtics. So here we are with Kyrie out, and I'm sure a lot of the Brooklyn Nets fans, they got to be bitter Wondering what could have been, and now they're going to have to go ahead wondering what's going to happen with this team moving forward. They're still hoping that Kevin Durant is going to be 100%, and I said, let him take all the time he wants. And I know the Nets have not played well here, and you knew that once Kyrie put out this trade request on Friday, and him being out of the lineup because of a sore calf, you knew that his days in Brooklyn were numbered, and he was not going to see the court with a Brooklyn Net uniform in Brooklyn ever again. Considering they're in the middle of a homestand where the Clippers are in town tonight, and I believe tomorrow the Suns are going to be in Brooklyn. So knowing that Kyrie was going to be out and they've had enough, that you are not going to see number 11 in uniform, especially after what took place there on Friday with his trade request. And now that he goes to Dallas to team up with Luka, what his future is going to be? I believe that they're going to put forth a contract extension, if you're Mark Cuban, you would almost have to. Now, I believe he could get two years for $78 million. Now, I would think under the rules, that's what's going to happen here. Maybe they tear that up. They'll have to trade some contracts on the team, and I do not know what the ramifications are when it comes to the salary cap as far as Dallas goes. I know Tim Hardaway, he could be in the last year of a contract, so maybe that will free up some money so they can add to the coffers of a one Kyrie Irving. But will Kyrie take a two-year deal for $78 million, Or will he think about going to L.A. to see if he could join forces with a one LeBron James as Russell Westbrook and his contract will come off the books? That remains to be seen, and that's for sometime in the spring into the summer. But you would think that with Kyrie teaming up with Luka, and from what I've read, that he's ecstatic about joining forces with Luka. Let's see how that's going to go. Obviously, Kyrie's going to need the ball a lot. And Luca, as we all know, he does need some help. And having Kyrie in there in that backcourt is certainly going to be dynamic. And who knows what we're going to expect over the course of the next 25 to 30 games if you're a Maverick fan. But I would think it's going to boost the confidence of a one. Luka Doncic, I'm sure he's going to be relieved to know that it's not going to be a one-man gang. It's not going to be a one-man band. Having Kyrie there is certainly going to help. But will Kyrie defer knowing that it's not his team, that this is Lucas' team, and what that can mean for long-term potential in Dallas for the duo? A big, giant question mark. And I'm sure over the course of the next three and a half months, especially in this regular season, or two and a half now, it's going to speak volumes and may go a long way as to their compatibility as well as their even flexibility, knowing that These two guys, right now, arguably the best backcourt in the sport. How they'll be able to coexist and gel with the chemistry on court, even off the court to a certain extent. 
as to them having a good marriage in Dallas, not only just for the remainder of this year, but also for years to come. And then you have the Kevin Durant factor in Brooklyn. We all know about the trade request that he had in the offseason. And remember, he hitched his wagon to Kyrie to come to Brooklyn to be a part of what we would have thought would have been at least one championship by now. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. And remember, because Kevin Durant hitched his wagon on Kyrie and Kyrie wanted to come to Brooklyn because he loved the Nets as a kid, he talked about Jason Kidd being a guy that he modeled his game after when he was a boy watching the Nets go to NBA Finals there in the early 2000s. And the dream that finally came for Kyrie to go back home, so to speak, although they weren't in Jersey, but in Brooklyn. And as we all know, with the front office saying, uh-uh, we don't want to have anything else to do with you. And I get it that he put that trade request just six days before the trade deadline. All right, you can understand why he's going to do that. And we could talk about how much of a phony he is because he wanted to come to Brooklyn and work things out. But if the front office wasn't going to give him an extension, then he had to do what was best for him. So as much as you could try to look at that angle to kill Kyrie, you can't because if the Nets say, uh-uh, we're not going to resign you because of XYZ, then Kyrie, I get it, the player empowerment factor comes into it. But because he's a star, because he's a guy that's going to command a lot of attention, as we've seen, not only here in Brooklyn, but in the past, whether it's in Cleveland or Boston, he was going to get his wish, and he did so by going to Dallas. But I'm sure in a perfect world, he rather would have been in L.A. with LeBron. But again, as I mentioned earlier, that's going to be an angle that a lot of people are going to talk about as we get to the latter part of spring into summer. But back to KD for a second. You wonder now, could he be a little bit relieved knowing that he's going to miss his sidekick and knowing that the scoring isn't going to all fall on him? Or will he look at the team now with Dinwiddie being an offensive threat and looking at the pieces around them, even Ben Simmons for that matter, will he buy in even more knowing that Kyrie is out and maybe that the cloud and the specter of Kyrie is now in Dallas to where they can exhale and look at it as, all right, This is the squad we have. Come on, let's make a push, especially once Kevin Durant is 100% healthy and back in the lineup. I think that could be the case. And remember, Durant has three more years left on his contract. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to revisit a possible trade request, especially if the season goes up in smoke, if they get bounced in the first round like they did last year. But everything that is circled around this team, a lot of it, because of Kyrie Irving, Now, Kevin Durant could look at this and say, this is my team. He could look at this and say, all of the distractions, all of the hoopla, and everything that has followed this team over the last three plus years is now gone. And he doesn't have to be a part of that by putting out trade requests like he did last summer. He could look at this and have a quote-unquote partnership with the front office to say, I want to stay here, I'm committed, even with Kyrie gone, and I understand that I came with him as a package deal, but now I could focus in on getting healthy, making this my team. He's not the leadership type, but who knows? Maybe he'll take on that type of role knowing that Kyrie is out the door and there's not going to be a battle of the minds or butting of the heads between the two friends and the two guys that look to direct this team to championship aspirations and now that's been cut in half to where he could be the guy that could lead this team to the promised land. 
Obviously, I don't know what he's thinking. He hasn't been quoted as of yet. But if I'm KD, I would look at it as the positive, everything that I just explained, as opposed to him thinking, oh man, now all the pressure's going to be on me to score. Kyrie's out the door. I don't want to be a part of this knowing the media that they could get on my case. That could also be a factor that let me just see how the rest of this year goes. And if we do not play well in the first round and get bounced, whether in four, five, six, or seven, then I'll look for the exits there like I did last year, which would not be a good look on him. And you would only hope he had learned from what happened last year. And remember that meeting of the minds later in the summer where he got together with Joseph Sy and Sean Marks to where they ironed everything out. I hope he remembers that as of right this second and maybe over the course of the last 24 hours to know that, yes, I've committed myself to being here. Player empowerment, yes. But as long as I'm in contact with them and we could get on the same page and get to the direction of winning an NBA championship, I'm sure that's what he signed up for and that's all that he'll ever want. And hopefully he will stick to that. We don't have to worry about Kyrie anymore especially in this part of the woods being here in the New York area. I'm sure it was a bit of a relief. You have to admit there, Net fans, and even me, when he was a Celtic, I wasn't crazy. It was a trade that Danny Age had to make, and I talked about this back then, four or five years ago, but now you don't have to worry about that headache anymore. And you could only hope that with the trade deadline upcoming, maybe they could get some spare parts to complement the rest of this team. I'm sure a lot of other teams are going to do so between now and Thursday around what? Four o'clock is usually the deadline, maybe three, somewhere in that time frame. But now we don't have to worry about all these self-inflicted wounds that Kyrie has done to him, to the Nets, his teammates, the organization, etc. Hopefully that team could go on and do things that they had aspired to do going back four years ago. As I finally put that whole scenario to bed. As for the association altogether, what has happened here over the last few days to where the NBA was looking like Vince McMahon and the WWE? I couldn't get over the events that happened in Cleveland there Thursday night between Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks, who's now become public enemy number one in the NBA, you remember a few weeks ago with Shannon Sharp, that whole incident there, courtside at Staples, a.k.a. Crypto.com, to where he tried to get into his head, and then Dylan Brooks and Steven Adams and the whole Grizzly team was going after the former Hall of Fame tight end. And then now, in Cleveland, as they had a scrum underneath the basket to where Dylan Brooks, both of the players going crashing to the floor, And then Brooks getting up with a swing to the midsection of a one Donovan Mitchell to where they got into each other's faces. Mitchell only got fined where Brooks got suspended for a game. And I'm sure the NBA is going to be having their watchful eye on Brooks knowing that his behavior here over the course of the last couple of years has been borderline nasty. And I know that that was a nasty shot that Mitchell took. So here it is where... I get it, Memphis is a young team and they're trying to form a little bit of an identity outside of John Morant, but for Brooks to do that, I don't care how frustrated you are or whatever, but that was intentional and luckily he didn't get more in the game. I guess he doesn't have much of a track record when it comes to suspensions and things of that nature, but he has been involved in some chippy play in the past 
And now we're going to have to wait and see whether or not that that's going to continue, especially as we get deeper into the year and even more so into the postseason when the stakes are going to be raised that much more higher. And then in Minnesota, very innocently, how it started between Mo Bamba and Austin Rivers, where right by the Orlando Magic bench, you had both players going at it, wrestling, swinging, benches didn't clear, but it was an ugly sight there in Minnesota to have Mo Bamba to get suspended for four games, Austin Rivers for three, as you had five ejections in the game. And again, it wasn't as if it was something that happened under the basket or somewhere at center court where both players were angry or frustrated or just took their frustrations out on each other. This was a scenario where the cameras were from far away. They didn't really get a good angle of this incident. But Bamba, a young player on Orlando, and we know about Austin Rivers, the well-traveled journeyman in the NBA, as both players will now cool off for a few days. As the NBA, I don't know what's happened here over the last four or five days, but it's certainly gotten a little crazy to the point where we've had some histrionics and some tempers flaring, and hopefully that doesn't continue as the All-Star break a couple of weeks away. Maybe cooler heads will prevail as we enter in this week. But boy, that was just a weird display over the course of the last few days, and in particular, back-to-back nights, because that incident in Minnesota happened the day after the events in Cleveland. So... For whatever that's worth, hopefully we won't see a lot of that, but something must have been in the air in both of those cities as both teams were wrestling and fighting and scrapping to where you got ejections, suspensions, and the like. So hopefully we won't see any of that extracurricular activities here in the days and weeks to come. You also had another big injury in the NBA with Steph Curry. Very innocent. Talk about a play that you had to watch four or five times to see if there was any effect or impact Saturday night as the Golden State Warriors were blowing out the Dallas Mavericks and McKinley Wright happened to just almost look like he brushed Steph Curry on the left leg to where a couple of ligaments had partial tears he's going to be out until after the all-star break and I talked about this on and off with the Warriors how they have not seemed to get their season on track whether it was going back to the preseason with the fight with Jordan Poole and Draymond Green, how it seemed to be the team is off kilter ever since then. They've had their moments. They've had little runs. And even though they're a game above 500 out West, and we've talked about how logjam the bottom rung of that conference is, especially between four and what, 13. But even with the Warriors right there in the middle of that seven through 10 play in tournament range, but now with Curry going to be out for, Who knows, an extended period of time. Right now it says till after the All-Star break where the game will be two weeks from yesterday. I don't know how this Warrior team, and I even said it then, I'll say it one more time. Whether Steph Curry comes back 100% and bionic, this Warrior team is not going to be anything to what we saw last year. I don't think this is going to be a team that's long for the postseason. I don't think this is going to be a team that is going to be any threat out in the West, despite the fact that they're pedigree, despite the fact that they're defending champs, I don't want to hear it. This is a year where it has not clicked. It's a year where things have not been as smooth and as seamless as maybe their teams of the past have been. So I don't think, despite the fact, even if they get on a run to where they put themselves in good stead, maybe get out of that 7-10 range and they don't have to worry about the playing tournament, but whether they get a 4 seed, 5 or 6, I don't care. 
the Warriors are not going to have a big postseason this year. And I don't even think that's going out on a limb. Even with everybody 100% healthy and ready to go. So, that's what I got to say about the Warriors. Other than that, LeBron is now 36 points away from eclipsing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and he'll do it at home, you would think, over the course of these next two games where they'll host the Thunder tomorrow and he could do it tomorrow when you think about it, but who knows? And then on Thursday, a TNT game against Milwaukee, I'm sure that they would want to clinch it or have him clinch the record tomorrow just to get it over with, but it will be some irony if he doesn't get the 36 points that are needed to where if they do play the Bucks and he's a few points shy, for him to surpass it on a team that Kareem, obviously at the time, Lou Alcindor, maybe he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he first came in. No, I'm sure he was Lou Alcindor prior to him being drafted by the Bucks, going back to what, 1970? And knowing that that was a team that Alcindor played for the first five years of his career before going to LA. So there is a little symmetry there. But in all likelihood, he's going to be the number one all-time scoring leader in NBA history. You would think by the time we reconnect there on Friday. And with that game being broadcast on TNT, I know a lot of people are going to be watching to see whether or not he's going to break it. Now, who knows? He may break it tomorrow night. OKC, I don't know if it's going to be on TV. Maybe TNT will have to put that on as far as it being a showcase game. Who knows? I haven't checked the schedules of yet, but we do know that if he doesn't eclipse it tonight or it's just say tomorrow night at home against the Thunder, he'll have an opportunity to do so for the whole world to see on TNT come Thursday. So that's something we'll keep an eye on. Besides that, the NBA is pretty much status quo as we've talked about here week in and week out. I know the Bucks have played well seven in a row as they're just a game behind the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. Like I said, other than that, everything is pretty much the same. In a couple of weeks, I'll get into a quote-unquote first-half review and a second-half preview at that time. I'll even go through my over-under numbers as far as the NBA goes as we now start to make our way not only into the month of February, but more of a focus in on the fall and winter sports with the NBA and NHL being front and center once we get past the Super Bowl next week. And now as I lace up my skates for the NHL, and we had a scenario with the All-Star Game over the weekend, which I did not watch a look of it, and you guys know, and gals, know that I do not watch any of these All-Star Games. There's nothing entertaining about it. And just for a split second on my phone, the game happened to come up in my travels on Saturday, and I believe, is it three-on-three that they're playing during these All-Star Games? And I think they break it up to where they have it by division each period, which whatever gimmick they want to use to enhance the game or to make it that much more entertaining, more power to them. But I couldn't bear to watch that because as we all know, no defense, goals aplenty. I can't even tell you the MVP was of the game. I actually think it was Matthew Kachuk because the game was being played in Florida, but I couldn't watch that stuff. I mean, please people, the All-Star game isn't what it once was when we were kids, where the players took it seriously where it was entertaining that we could at least rally around the conference that we rooted for. And now it's just a shell of its old self in any of the sports. Same for baseball. The baseball all-star game is from hunger. A lot of them are low scoring, not a lot of offense. Can't really get into it. 
But with the All-Star break now coming gone and we could focus in and zero in on the second half of this NHL season, or quote-unquote, I should say, the first thing I want to talk about is, I don't know what the ratings were for this game, and I believe it was on ABC, but here's all you need to know about the sport, the league, and the viewership as far as ratings go, where if you recall many years ago when ESPN left and the NHL didn't have a home, and then for, I forgot how many years it was, but in the mid-2000s, especially after the lockout of the 03-04 season where the NHL did not play in the 04-05 season, and because they didn't have a significant network where they could host these games, and you could at least come back to watch and be entertained and put on a hockey game in the middle of winter when there's nothing to watch, but they were on a network called Versus, remember them people? And then Versus became, I believe it was the outdoor network at the time, and then it was Versus, and then you had a scenario where NBC Sports Network took over the games for about a decade, and nobody had the NBC Sports Network. And then last year, ESPN came around to save the day, as well as TNT, and obviously with ESPN tied with ABC and Disney, you knew that the Stanley Cup games were going to be broadcast through that network. So there was a bit of an exhale among the NHL, the hockey fan, maybe even the casual sports fan to say, all right, well, if I'm traveling somewhere and I'm in a hotel room and I want to watch a hockey game and if it's on ESPN or TNT, at least I can watch. It's not on the NHL Sports Network or Versus or any of these other channels that I could not find even with a GPS, a roadmap, and a magnifying glass. But now I can at least watch the game and find it Because everybody pretty much knows as a sports fan where ESPN is on their cable network, satellite, streaming device, etc. But think about this. Even with that, viewership is down 22%. And the NHL has to ask themselves why that's the case. Well, I can tell you why as a fan from afar. And I will say this. I've gotten into the NHL a little bit here over the last couple of years. Not only because of the podcast, but I've been down on the sport for many years, especially going back to the mid-90s because of how the direction of the sport has gone. And we could even look back to that lockout of the 2003-04 season to where they did away with the red line. No more two-line passes. They wanted to make it more of an offensive game to showcase the skills of the NHL player. And with that, they got rid of the enforcer, the tough guy, to where they're pretty much phased out in the sport. And then, of course, I get with player safety, they're going to have the face shield to where I believe just about everybody, but a handful of players, including Matt Martin and Ryan Reeves, two tough guys in the sport who do not wear face shields because they've been grandfathered in. But with the game not having the physical presence of yesteryear, with the game not having the rivalries that we had, and yeah, you want to sprinkle in a little Edmonton-Calgary Okay, fine, but here in this neck of the woods where Islander Rangers was a must-watch, where Rangers Flyers was a must-watch, Islanders Flyers, which they're actually going to play tonight in Philadelphia, a far cry of what it once was, a lot of these rivalries that you had in the sport, Boston-Montreal, nowhere near what you saw two, three decades ago, the sport is a shell. It's not the same game, and it's not the same intensity that we've seen. And yes, we could talk about playoff hockey being 
at its heightened where it's nip and tuck and yes it's not as physical as it once was as we all know and I won't go down that road but this is why viewership is down because the sport isn't as intriguing as it once was and when you take out certain elements of it and have a different type of game altogether how do you expect viewership to go up if you're not going to have that same type of intensity in a regular season to translate that into the postseason and sadly this is why even with it being on ESPN and TNT that nobody's watching or more than a 20% drop as far as viewership has happened here over the last year and I understand player safety and concussions and we want to lessen fighting and put shields on and once the helmets come off they're going to try to break up the fights alright I get it but the product is nowhere near what it once was And this is why it hasn't been the same and how I've weaned from the sport going back to the mid-2000s. And although I picked it up a little bit and following it a lot better than I have over the last 20 years. And that's saying a lot. But at the same time, it's not saying much. Because if it was anything similar to what it once was, then oh, I'd be all over it. But I'm one of those guys that haven't really watched in with full intent going back almost 20 years so they've lost me from that regard but even with that being said and I know it's a lot there the NHLs we take a look at the second half we talked about the first half there on Thursday's podcast and here the angles that I'm going to look at are the Bruins going to continue this record pace of trying to surpass 132 points and 66 wins that they're on a pace to win this year which were held by the Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens respectively can they continue this epic pace we talked about the Maple Leafs can they finally get past and I understand that may be more for the NHL playoff preview but you know they're going to make the postseason but we all know that the shoe is right now in the hand of the Maple Leaf fan and wondering whether or not that's going to drop come mid to late April that's a focus there Tampa with all they've done over the last few years and I get it that Tampa's not really on a lot of people's radar although I think they should be based on their pedigree over the last few years but Tampa you know they're going to be heard from and they've actually played very well going into the break the Hurricanes and what they've done here they've actually led to the top of the Metropolitan Division and have an 8 point cushion over the Devils and we know the Devils have played well this year despite a little bit of a lull a few weeks back but the Hurricanes could be a team to be reckoned with and I want to see if they're going to be more contenders than pretenders as we've seen here over the last couple of years. In particular last year when they gagged in a Game 7 at home against the Rangers in the second round. Out West is very balanced when you look at the Western Conference. To me, there's not a team that really sticks out as you see in the East whether you're Boston or even Carolina. Everybody seems to be middle of the pack. The Stars currently a one-point lead in the Central Division. Are they a team that you really could seriously look at as a Stanley Cup contender? Same for the Winnipeg Jets, for that matter. Colorado, who has played better since their captain Nathan McKinnon has come back. And you wonder if Colorado's now going to get on a roll to maybe catapult themselves to the top of the Central as a defending Stanley Cup champ. Out West in the Pacific, the Kraken, we've talked about them, how they've been leaps and bounds better than what they were 
in their inaugural year last year. But still, can they be a team that we're going to look at as a Stanley Cup contender? Same for the Kings. Could Edmonton be that team to make a run? They made it to a conference final last year with, I would think, if you had to vote for the MVP today in the NHL, he has to be right at the top. And if not, you're a slam dunk winner of the MVP. But we all know that there's still a lot of hockey to be played. Maybe Edmonton makes a move as the trade deadline is not until March 3rd. So who knows what their front office is going to do to try to get themselves to the next step to make it to a Stanley Cup final. It's not really cut and dry out West. And I understand there may be some separation as time goes on, but I think it's pretty much a coin toss. And I'm sure the Dynawall NHL fan could be like, come on, Jay Reels. I'm sure Colorado is going to be that team that's going to breeze past the Minnesotas of the world, the Winnipegs, the Dallas's, and get themselves back to where they belong. And out West, you would think the Golden Knights will do justice and also claim the top spot in the Pacific and get themselves together to where they may meet up in a Western Conference Final. Quite possible, but we all know that the postseason, the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's all a crapshoot. We never know from one year to the next what team has a long run in them, unlike what we see in the NBA to a certain extent, even in the NFL. Baseball, eh, you have some... Times, just look back this past year where you had the 5 and 6 seed in the National League get to an NLCS where the Dodgers were out, the Braves were out, and the Mets were out. The top three teams in the National League. So NHL, very unpredictable. We do not know. But as I look at the second half, do I want to say Colorado could be that team that could get to the top based on what they did last year? Absolutely. But is that a guarantee? I think not. The East, even with the Bruins and what they've done, we all know that they could be an injury or two away from not being that team to get to a cup final. And you can say that about everybody, I understand. But the Bruins are a more veteran team led by their two key guys and Patrice Bergeron as well as David Krejci. I get it that it's David Pasternak and guys like that who are the nuts and bolts of Jake DeBrus and Charlie McAvoy's. They're the guys that are pretty much the glue guys, the top guys that are going to bank on them making a long postseason run that it's not just going to be on the shoulders of Bergeron or Krejci, etc. The goaltender Linus Olmark. I get it. But right now with the second half, I see it being wide open out west and in the east, a little bit more clear cut. Because really, are the Rangers, and I know they've underachieved, although they played better, but can they go to a cup even with Igor Shosturkin? And yeah, they can. But with Carolina and Boston in the way, could they dethrone both of those teams on the way to a cup? It's a big question mark. And the same could be said for the Devils and the Capitals and even the Penguins who are on the outside looking in right now. The Sabres who have played very well here as actually their fourth in the division and on the outside or pretty much right there on the cusp of being a wildcard team in the East. The Panthers, we talked about them being an underachieving team. Those teams you don't think are going to get past the behemoths of the conference. Where out west, any one of those eight teams could come out. So that's what I'm looking at here as far as the second half goes. And it being very wide open. And who knows who's going to come out of the west. But as time goes on, of course, I'll monitor and keep everybody abreast of what's going on there. And the Islanders not only made the big trade last week for Bo Horvat, 
where he came from Vancouver to New York. But now they signed him to an eight-year, $68 million deal. So he is going to be in the mix for a long marriage here out in Long Island. I understand it was a deal they had to do. 27 years of age. He's a guy that has had very good years in the last two. 31 goals scored last year. 31 to date so far. Could he still have that magic where I get it? Even being in New York, media, etc., etc., but the media is not like the baseball, football, or even to a certain extent the basketball media. How he'll thrive here, being traded for the first time. He even admitted to being anxious and nervous, meeting his teammates, wanting to do well. Again, this isn't British Columbia, Pacific Northwest, where he could pretty much be in obscurity. And I understand bringing him here, it's not as if you're bringing in Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon. Yes, he's a very good goal scorer, but he doesn't bring that aura of a perennial MVP candidate where it would really ratchet up the media and the expectations and the pressure. But Horvat is going to have to carry this team because he's brought in to do one thing and one thing only, is be the sniper of this team. And now he's getting paid handsomely in the process So there is going to be some pressure. There is going to be expectations to know that this guy is going to be, I hate to call him this, the savior of this team because as I mentioned before in weeks past, the Brock Nelsons of the world, the Anders Lee of the world, yes, good, solid players. They could put the puck in the net, but they are not a guy that's going to keep opposing teams awake at night wondering how we're going to shadow Bo Horvat to not dominate the game, to not wreck the game, And that's a guy that the Islanders have. And hopefully he could translate and bring those 31 goals that he brought from Vancouver to UBS Arena and everywhere else here as a member of the New York Islanders. Of course, the going rate, he's going to get paid that much, we know. So we could talk about the contract all he want. With him being 27, he's at that right age. I know I read another publication that had him at 29 and, oh, the back end of this deal could be terrible. Well... You cheated him two years, so that was a bad job on their part, and I won't even tell you who it was. But anyway, let's see what Horvath's going to do. We can't think about years five, six, seven, and eight at this moment. Yes, we can think about it right now and say, oh, it may not be as good. It may be bad. An aging goal scorer who's not going to be as effective or as efficient. And let's see if the bumps and bruises and the aches, I don't know how healthy he's going to be throughout. That is obviously the unknown but as for right this second, let's see what Horvath's going to do as he will don the on the uniform number 14 tonight in Philadelphia in his first game as a member of the Blue and Orange. That's your hockey. I understand in touch on the college basketball, which I usually like to do when I stick with the NBA and keep the high tops on, but you had Purdue lose again to Indiana over the weekend, so you know that the polls and the rankings are going to be upended yet again in this topsy-turvy college basketball season. If you didn't listen to the podcast on Thursday, I advise you to do so, please, because I touched in on college basketball here in 2023 being not only just a crapshoot, but do you like that the college basketball season has become that way, or would you rather have it that you'd have your mainstays there at the top, the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kentuckys of the world, although they're nowhere to be found this year, but would you rather have it that way and know that you're going to have your one seeds in each bracket be whether it be the Tar Heels, the Blue Devils, the Wildcats, etc. Or do you want to have it to where it is so wildly unpredictable 
and have no idea as to who's going to be the team that's going to cut down the nets when it's all said and done or even me in the final four for that matter would you rather have it that way I go into that on Thursday's podcast so if you didn't listen to that please do but Purdue they're going to be out as number one you would think either Tennessee moves up to number one or Houston overtakes them because of the records where Houston is 20 and 2 and the Volunteers are 18 and 3 I don't think that's going to be much of a factor I'm sure the polls will be out at some point this afternoon to show who's going to be number one. But as we all know, I would think by the time we get together again on Friday, one of those two teams may go down and then you'll have another new number one at the top. And that's college basketball in 2023. There's no other way to cut it or slice it. I get it that we'd rather have some stability at the top and know what college basketball and try to forecast what we could see as we get deeper into the month and into March and March Madness, etc. But as I said then, and I'll say now, I like it this way. Why not? If North Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky are having down years, then so be it. And I get it that it's a risk to have teams like TCU in the tournament or Florida Atlantic, teams that this is uncharted territory for them, that they could get bounced out in the first round or maybe make it to a Sweet 16 and expect to do big things and then get trounced in the regional semi or the regional final. I get it, and that's the risk that you watch as a college basketball fan, especially as your bracket is getting blown to smithereens. But you know what? I'd rather have it this way. I'm tired of the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kentuckys, and I understand they're the pinnacle of the sport when they're right. But as for this year, 2023, and who knows, when it's all said and done, Watch your final four be Virginia, Kansas, Alabama, and Arizona. Or even Texas for that matter. Maybe this is the year for them to finally make a run and do something in the tournament. Or even UCLA, who I understand they made it into the final four a couple of years ago. But UCLA, they're also classified as one of those blue blood teams, a la Kentucky, Duke, and UNC. But I like it that it's this way. Why not? Let's shake it up a little bit. Let's see what we get when it's all said and done. And then I understand if we get terrible basketball or if these teams bottom out come March or during the tournament, I understand that I can't complain to say, oh, look at this. This is terrible basketball if this is what I'm looking for. So hand raise high in the air. Check those receipts when the time comes. I'm not going to say I told you so. I won't say that, oh, look at this terrible basketball. But mental And duly noted that as we get deeper into this college basketball season and obviously into the tournament, that as much as I want it this way, I can't complain that if these teams just get obliterated come tournament time. That's what we have, people. Baseball is still a week away, really eight days away from pitches and catches reporting. Nothing else to really discuss as we will reconvene on Friday One more time, not Thursday, but Friday as I'll preview the Super Bowl and get into all of the scenarios regarding the final NFL game of the year as well as what's happening in the NBA, NHL, and so on. So, as always, thank you so much for stopping by. Your participation is never taken for granted. Thank you so much for taking a shot on your boy as I spew and discuss everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, Please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so, 
Please go to any of my social media feeds as I post videos throughout the course of days, weeks, etc. You could go to Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, more so the first two, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter is J Reels One, just a number. And if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, or suggestions, you could do so by going to the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up, so just hit me up whenever you'd like. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, everything that this podcast has to offer into your earbuds or speakers through this microphone to not only be entertaining and informative, but also very credible because if I'm not credible, I could be as entertaining and as informative as possible. But if I'm all over the map and not coming concise and not coming direct and all that good stuff and just spewing biased drivel, you're going to go elsewhere. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say, and I'm not going anywhere, people, as long as I'm alive and breathing and kicking as I try to take this podcast to bigger and better heights thanks to you guys and gals. Because if you weren't able to hear over the course of the past, whatever it's been, 50, 55 minutes, almost an hour, as I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises, feelings, with fire, passion, fury, energy on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, come Friday... On the flip, baby.